Thanks for watching the Transforming Truth channel online. We are about to start a brand new series and the name of the series is called Above All. The message you're about to hear is going to come out of the book of Revelation where I'm going to take six messages and focus on six different worship scenes in the book of Revelation. It's going to help us move into the reality even more deeply that Jesus Christ is to be worshiped above all. Nothing else compares. Nothing else is worthy of our worship. Here's the message. I hope it's a blessing to you. Tonight, I want to bring you to kind of the pinnacle and the consummation, the climax of uh, what, what God is doing with this church. We're actually moving towards something. God's not up there vague and ambiguous. Jesus is, is not, you know, kind of figuring this out as he goes. We're actually on a trajectory towards um, a consummation. And you may have heard of the bridal paradigm. It's that, it's that aspect of our faith that where we, the church, are often referenced as the bride of Jesus Christ. And we're moving towards a wedding. We're, we're moving towards a marriage. Is my mic going out? We good? Okay. All right, let me just get into the Word of God. Revelation chapter number 19, verse number 1. John says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god for his judgments are true and just for he is judged to the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants once more they cried out hallelujah the smoke from her goes up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, these are the true words of God. When we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we do so by faith now. We, we really haven't seen him as he is. I know some Christians that have had visions of the Lord Jesus himself. And whether or not you believe that or not, I know the ones that I have talked to literally believe they've seen Jesus standing. And it's not an occasional thing that I hear that. It happens in many parts of the world, and occasionally the Lord may choose to manifest himself visibly. I've never seen him. I, I worship him by faith. I am as certain of, of his glory and his goodness and his royalty by faith as I believe I would be if he was standing here among us. So I don't envy those that walked with him physically. Um, we live in a better place. We actually have a better inheritance than those that were walking with Jesus physically. We have the fullness of the gospel. We have the indwelling, the inness of the Holy Spirit. So we're not merely as they were walking with God. We are indwelt by God. 
And as God within us yearns and cries out, Abba, Father, as God the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, yearning, that worship goes from heaven into us and then in us, out of us, back up to him. And it manifests itself in so many ways, but we do so here in a limited way. We, we, we struggle. We, we don't always struggle in every aspect of worship, but we are, we are limited. We are inhibited. We, we have a flesh suit that we walk in. We have distractions in our minds. We have worries and fears and sometimes pride and, and self-awareness that, that come and they encroach upon the, the, the high call on our lives to be worshipers of the living God. And yet, even in its incomplete state now, right here on planet Earth in the 21st century, even in its incomplete state, there is no greater experience than when we are in the presence of God and we are worshiping Him, giving expression to His glory and His goodness. But there is coming a day, friends, where you will no longer worship God by faith. There is coming a time, it is an appointed time, and it's referenced here in Revelation 19, where you will no longer have to worship God by faith. And that degree of worship, no human being on planet earth has yet tasted. And as good as it can be down here by faith, I want you to know it will be exponentially blown away when we are in his presence and we are in perfectly glorified bodies. And there is nothing separating us from him and no distractions and no weaknesses and no limitations and no self-awareness and no fear, but absolute abandonment and fullness Within our glorified bodies, spirits, all the glorified being that we will be at that time in, in, in the perfection that God has ordained, and we will worship him in ways that will be, you can't even compare. I think Paul said it this way. He said that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be uh, revealed in us. But I'm going to tell you the ecstasies of this life are also not worthy to be compared with the glory that's coming. And so this, this evening, let me just give you some thoughts from Revelation 19, and let's just trust the Holy Spirit to draw our hearts even more deeply into gratitude and, and hunger that we might know Him, that we might not just know Him, but we might know Him, all of who we are, knowing as much about Him as we can handle. He presents Himself in the first six verses as the preeminent Lord. We're, we're in the back of the Bible now. The wrath of God has been poured out on planet Earth. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And there we're going to see Jesus as the preeminent Lord. And preeminent is just a word that means surpassing all others. He's the best. He's the supreme one. There, there's no comparison. And so we see him. And in verse 1, we see God's glory is praised. Just look quickly at verse 1. John says, after, I heard what seemed, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. And look at what they were crying out. Hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god now here's something i'm still learning i'm a bible preacher i've been doing this over 20 something years and uh but i'm still learning and i saw something today i'd never seen before had no idea hallelujah is such a common word for christians it's simply a word that means praise be unto Yahweh or, or praise be to God. Hallelujah. And, and so it is a word that's transliterated in all different kinds of languages, and it basically sounds the same way. And it's such a common word, we would think that it's everywhere in the Bible, and you see a lot of it in the Old Testament. But you know what I found out today? It's only used four times in the entire New Testament. The word hallelujah is only found four times in the entire New Testament. And you know where it is? All four of them are in this chapter. 
in the first six verses. It's amazing to me that God has reserved this great proclamation of hallelujah to Revelation chapter number 19. So as soon as I became aware of that, I said, I want to know what's going on in this chapter to where God seems to have cordoned off this precious uh, kingdom word for this six tightly packed verses. Well, the first thing is this, is that they're looking at him, they're focused on him, they're caught up in who he is, and they say it is his salvation. It is his glory. It is his power. It is God in all of this. Now, it's, contextually, we need to understand why that's important. Because these people had seen what was going on on planet Earth in the reign of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist has set up a false system of worship. It set up a one-world economy. And using that power and leveraging that political and religious power all over the globe, at this point, these people had escaped. They were in heaven. The bride of Christ was complete. And, and, and the Antichrist and all of those that aligned themselves with him and all of those that carried out his satanic agenda, they had now become uh, swallowed up in the wrath of God. And these people were delivered and they were free. And then they were, they're in the presence of the Lord. And they say, no, the Antichrist and Satan displayed a power, but yours is the power. The, the Antichrist lived and was worshipped as if he had glory, but yours is the glory. And so all of what was counterfeited and prostituted by the Antichrist and the fallen Babylonian world system, and, and we, all of that that was dominating the world, these people are delivered and they're above it. They're above it. And they're saying all of that down there was counterfeit. All of that down there was harlotry. All of that down there was a prostitution of what God had done. Lord, we are now in the presence of the one who is altogether real. You are the one worthy of the worship. Well, going down into verse number two. This is interesting to me because this is something that's dear to my heart. God's justice is proclaimed in verse number two. Listen to what they're hallelujahing about. He says, they say his judgments are true and just and he has judged the great prostitute if you have a king james bible i believe the word there word there is a little less sensitive it's the word whore the great prostitute who corrupted the earth who with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants and once more they cried out here's hallelujah number two hallelujah the smoke from her goes up forever and ever I'm going to touch briefly on this because we spent half a message on it a couple of weeks ago. But one of the themes of worship in the age to come is that the saints of God who have been delivered from the dominion of the world and where it's referencing there those terms, the prostitute, and giving a, a female persona to it. It's not talking about an individual woman. It's talking about the seductive world system that is dominated by, by a false manifestation of religion and a false manifestation of sexuality. Religion and sex are two of the most powerful forces that mankind leverages on earth. And the Antichrist system at the end of the age is going to be dominated by a religious system of which he sets himself up as God, but it's also going to, you know, those, the streams that come from that will be filled with sexual immorality. We already see some of that going on, but I'm going to tell you, you haven't seen anything compared to what's coming. And so the references here are a prostitution of two things that God made holy. God offered man holy faith and holy communion, and Satan offers him man-made religion. And God offered the intimacy between a husband and wife as a beautiful thing that is the highest expression of love, and that union between husband and wife is to represent the union between Jesus and his bride, and Satan hates that purity, so he prostitutes that, he counterfeits it into lust. 
And so we live in a world already dominated by lust. And in the end of the age, it's going to be predominantly lust and religion that's going to govern most of what's going on. Now, this is the setting on earth that I'm describing. But in heaven, they're praising him because look at what they're saying. They're saying, you have decreed justice and you have worked justice and you have poured it out on that great prostitute, that world system. You have poured it out. Remember this with me. Part of the worship at the end of the age is that we will worship God. Those of us that are bought by the blood of Jesus, that we are the redeemed, we're saved, we are the the chosen of God, we are secure in Christ Jesus. At the end of the age, we will worship God as he pours out his wrath on those that hardened their hearts and rejected him. Some of us just aren't comfortable with that now because we're all turned the other cheek and, you know, let the little children come unto us. And listen, it doesn't negate those aspects of God. But at this point, what we're reading here, grace is gone for those people. And it will disappear. It's one of the reasons we're urgent about the gospel and the message. Grace has a deadline. And at the end of that deadline, we will no longer praise God in that, in that, in that context for his mercy and grace. We will then shift and we will praise him for his justice. Think of the injustice that's going on in your world right now. There is racial injustice. God will balance the scales. If you've ever been a victim of it, those scales will be balanced. You will be vindicated. Keep your heart free of bitterness before the Lord and trust him. There is social injustice. There's economic injustice. There's injustice in in, in the smallest places and in the highest places. We live in an unjust, out-of-balance arena of living. And what God has said is, I haven't forgotten about it. I am a God of justice. I will vindicate. I will bring about righteousness to the cosmos again. And the people in heaven at this point are praising him for it. Don't forget with me that in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10, says this, that when the wicked perish, there are glad shouts. When the wicked perish, the righteous shout gladly. And brothers and sisters, I want, right now we know in the day of grace, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We understand that, but I'm going to tell you, our God of justice, in the end, when he purges the world of sin, he will have to purge it also of every unrepentant sinner. And the response in heaven is that we will praise him. You say, Jeff, that just sounds like a little over-the-top kind of kooky revelation stuff. Well, let me tell you, it's not new. Let me give you the verse from Deuteronomy chapter 32, a couple of them. This is not some new aspect that appears on the horizon. This is part of God's nature. Look at what he promised in the days of Moses. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. Good night. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain of the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. And then look at his command to us. Rejoice! With him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Now, that's not some, you know, hell and fire and brimstone southern preacher saying that. 
That is, the, that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, speaking through Moses, declares that I am a God of justice and vengeance, and part of my glory is that I will, in the end, destroy every enemy that opposed me, and I will do it for the sake of my children. Now, this may help you connect with this if you're not feeling real connected with it. What would you do to someone who is threatening the life of your child? Makes it a little easier to understand, right? You see, it's not an impersonal thing with God that we are His covenant children. We are His beloved. He has placed us on this planet for His glory. And at the back end of the age, there will be many, there will be multitudes, millions that will have to give their lives in martyrdom because they refused to recant their faith. Did you hear again what happened with a busload of Christians, some of them children, just last week, uh, just this past weekend, where they were taken off the bus by ISIS militants and were, were called to recount. And if they would not recount, they were shot in the head or shot in the throat. Children that got off a bus and Muslim militants said, recant your faith in Jesus, renounce him. And children said no, and they were ushered into eternity at the hands of a terrorist. And I'm going to give you this. Listen, God, there's great reward for those people, no doubt. But God is saying to this to all of us, he says, I saw what happened and I will repay it. And so, brothers and sisters, when we're worshiping God, I love the warmth, I love the grace, I love the mercy, I love, I love all of that. But I also want to mature to the place where I can recognize that part of God's character is that he's justice, or that he's just, that he's holy, that he's righteous. And he will not allow, allow a single act of injustice to go unrewarded. He will balance the scales. Now, for those of us, all of us, who have acted in ways that are unjustly, aren't you glad that the injustice that was uh, coming from you has been placed under the blood of Jesus? That's why you won't experience the wrath of God, because your injustice, and by the way, that's also the motivation to live a just life from this point forward. And, and to say, Lord, you've, you've forgiven me my crimes, you've forgiven me my sins, you've cleared my record of my injustice, and so Lord, I want to just ascribe to you the, justness, the justice worthy of your name, and I want to live that way myself. So we go further in this, verse number four. God's lordship is acknowledged. God's lordship. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they're in every scene in every one of these messages in this series. They fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And here's, here's another hallelujah. Amen! Hallelujah! What were they amening and saying hallelujah to? What was already said in verses 2 and 3. And then in verse number 5, there came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. You see... I, I, this is so helpful to me. The Trinity is a mysterious doctrine. I, if somebody, my son, I remember my son saying, Dad, we, we learned about the Trinity today. Will you explain that to me? You know, I'm like, we're driving to the QT. We got five minutes and my son wants a dissertation on the, on the triune Godhead. The answer is, is that nobody can quite explain it, but I can tell you this, we need to constantly be pressing into Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when, when, I, when, I, when I look at, at God and I want to know him, I, I, I look to Jesus. Jesus is the icon of God. He is the express image of God. He's the revelation, the visible revelation of God. When you want to know what God is like, watch what Jesus is doing. But don't limit God's nature to only what Jesus manifested in three and a half years of biblical recorded history. Because we didn't see everything that God is in Jesus Christ's life. Jesus Christ is fully God, but we didn't see everything. So I need to press into the Father too. 
I need to learn of him. And when I see this, I'm going to, this is a yet future scene. We're not going backwards in time. We're going future. And, And what we see is this, his lordship is declared. And and so in heaven, these elders who represent humanity and these four heavenly creatures which represent the angelic realm, they all do the same thing. They're they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And all through these messages in the series, we keep seeing them falling down before the Lord. They can't stand in His presence. They're so overwhelmed. And sometimes I believe what we're reading, sometimes it's a voluntary proskuneu, which is a Greek word that means they just put themselves down. At other times, I think they're getting flattened by the glory and the power and the kavod of God because he is so immensely good. But what they're doing is they're saying, you are worthy, amen, praise Yahweh, hallelujah. And then they, they add this, this voice comes from the throne. And here we are commanded again, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, small and great. The calling upon all of us. Children of God are known by so many different terms in the Bible. Saints, children of God, Christians, um, and and here we're we're called servants. We are... In our identity, we are sons and daughters. But from that identity comes the manifestation. We, Friends, we are the servants of God. We are here for Him. How many of us have gone through a difficult season where we put God on trial for, in our limited understanding, for not being there for us? We, we've all gone through that. I mean, I, I'd love to say I've never doubted God, but I have. And there's been times where, where we'll make God our servant, and if we're not being served the way that we want, we stop worshiping. We stop praising. We start getting our PhD in doubt and fear and bitterness, and we lose our growth in worship, trust, and abandonment. And so we are reminded here at the end of the age, as God is being glorified for his justice, we are reminded that that for all of us, those that might be considered small, those that might be considered great, whoever we are, we that fear him, there's a, there's a statement. Listen, if you're above 60, you heard messages growing up on the fear of God. This generation, my generation younger, you don't hear that very much anymore. But the fear of God, and we tried to water it down. I've heard so many preachers. Sometimes I'm carnal. I just want to smack a preacher. But they'll say, well, that's not really, that, that kind of fear is just an awe and a reverence of God. Well, it includes that, but the word in the Greek is phobos, from which we get our word phobia. It literally means tremble in the presence of God because he is very, very great. You know, I I was never terrified of my father, but I did know a couple of things. You know, my dad was good. My dad was trustworthy. He was was kind. But you didn't want to mess with him in a way that he didn't want to be messed with. Why? Because we had a healthy fear of dad. It didn't mean he was a terrorist. It didn't mean he was going to go fly off the handle. It just means he's dad and I'm not. And brothers and sisters, when we think of God, we need to remember this. Listen, I know that not everything has gone the way you planned it to be, but he's still God. I know that right now you've got some question marks and maybe not enough exclamation points or periods going on right now. You've got some question marks, but he's still God. I I know that you you got ambushed. You got thrown a curveball. I know some things came your way that you didn't see coming, and there was no warning ahead of time, but he's still God. And in the midst of declaring that he is God, let's not fail to declare that he's good. He's good to you. He's good to me. He's too wise to blow it with your life. You're not done yet. That's why you don't understand it all yet. So we keep keep persevering through this, and we praise him. 
That's what they're doing at the end of the age. That's what they were doing in, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, before they fell, they would walk with God and they would worship him. That's what David would do in the tabernacle. That's what the, the Jews would do in the temple. That's what they did when Jesus was entering in the gates, although it didn't last long. Hosanna, Hosanna, worthy is he, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Worshiping God and worshiping God. That's what they did at Pentecost. That's what they have done through all of the ages. And in the back end of the age, when all of earth's time and history is wrapped up, what are people still doing? They're still looking at him and saying, you are worthy. We love you. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Lord. Verse number six, God's people are rejoicing. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, and here it is again, hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Brothers and sisters, we know that Jesus is king. We know so much about who he is. We know his titles. We know the different functions he has. But a lot of what we know, we haven't seen yet. That's called faith. Believing with certainty what you have not seen yet. If you've seen it, it's not faith, it's experience. But when we long for it, and let me just tell you something. I can tell you today by faith that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning right now and he is not trying to figure things out. He's not up there reacting to what's happening down here. Oh, that caught me off. He is in full, sovereign, authoritative control. He, he, is, he is on his throne and he is reigning. But we believe that. We have certainty about that by faith. But there's coming a time where you won't need faith for that reality to own your soul. Because we are told here that the reason they begin crying out in verse number six with the fourth of these hallelujahs is that they're saying now he's reigning. Remember what they're coming out of. They're coming out of the tribulation time where the Antichrist was ruling, where he's dominating the globe, where you can't even buy and sell, you can't get food, you can't eat, you can't do anything without the mark of the beast on your life. And he's in control of that. And if you won't take the mark of the beast and sell out your soul, then you're going to die. And so he looks like he's reigning. Right now, we look at the world today, man. I don't even like looking at the news. It's chaos right now. I told my, my uh, it was Amy today. Amy and I spent a few hours together around lunchtime. And I told her, I said, I, I know it's always been bad. But when I'm looking at what's going on today, I don't see us getting this, all this back in the box. I, I feel like barring a revival, which I'm praying for, I'm contending for, I'm seeking. It's our only hope, not just a, a, a great couple of weeks in the church house revival. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, 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 an, an ambush of the Holy Spirit on humanity. And unless that happens, what we see going on is not going to get back in the box. It's not going to get better. And, and, and when I look at, you know, I look at the, the maniac in North Korea, and then I, I see some of the maniacal things going on in our own government. And I, I see all the stuff going on with the terrorists and, and, and the advance of, 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 of dominant Sharia law and that aggressive intentionality of the Muslims. And I see the blindness of the Western world that, that says, oh, no, no, everything's going to be fine. What fools we can be. And I'm looking at all of this and I'm saying, I am really looking forward to the day 
When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords breaks through the sky and he comes and rules and reigns with an iron rod and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And friends, listen, that's not some pie in the sky by and by hope. That is Bible prophecy. He's coming back and you belong to him. You're on the right side. You're on the winning side. And so all of hell is breaking loose on earth, but that's temporary too. And so by faith, we, we, we import the words that in Revelation 19.6, they're expressing what they're seeing. They're seeing him reigning. They're seeing in this verse what we are seeing and waiting for by faith. It's going to happen. If this doesn't happen, God's not God. If Jesus Christ does not rule and reign and put down every power, then he is not, not the son of God. And, and they're it. Listen. I'm not blaspheming because this is a hypothetical situation, the, the greatest. But I'm telling you, if this doesn't come true, there is no God. Because this God has promised that this is what he's doing and this is how he's going to do it. And it is all focused on his son. And so as we get into the last few verses, I, I really want to get to this because the ending of this is going to be really good tonight. The preeminent Lord, and then at the beginning of verse 7. The perfect lamb. Listen, here we go. Oh, this, this, this is you. Hey, are you saved? You're forgiven? Jesus is Lord? Then this is you. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb is here. Has come is what it said. This is where, listen, this is not only what we're looking forward to, this is what Jesus is looking forward to. Jesus is in love with his bride. Now, don't let your mind get too sideways on that. It's not a sexual love. It's not an eros love. It is so much more sublime than that. But he loves us with an intensity that a man and a woman on earth have never loved each other with. And he has been waiting. And this Lamb of God, and it is beautiful to me that he is referenced here as the Lamb of God. He could have been called many glorious titles, but he's referenced of the, as the Lamb. And it just reminds us that in, in a moment I'm going to talk to you about the bride. But in order for the Lamb to, to be at that marriage and to receive the bride, that Lamb had to be slaughtered. That Lamb had to be sacrificed. That land, this is who we get, friends. This is who we get. We get this one named Jesus who is loving and sacrificial. He's been pursuant, which just means he, he's just going after you and after you and after you. I used to be afraid when I'd hear somebody say, God's coming after you, because back then I wasn't living right. And I'd be like, oh, he's coming after me. I got to run. But now I think he's coming after me. Hallelujah. I can't wait. Come quickly, oh Lord. Come soon, oh Lord. Come fast, oh Lord. But he's pursuant and he's holy. He's a committed groom. He's a strong groom. He's patient. You know how long he's been waiting for his bride, waiting on the perfect timing of the Father, enduring all that he has endured. But he is, it, it, it can't, his heart, his infinite heart, cannot declare in perfect wholeness that the plan is complete until he gets his bride. Just stop for a minute. You need to go ahead and receive the value that he places on you. You need to go ahead and embrace biblically that you are precious to him, child of God. Maybe you're not the prettiest anymore. Maybe you're not the strongest. Maybe you're not outwardly impressive. Maybe you don't have a hundred friends. Maybe you don't have five friends. Maybe you'll never be a millionaire. Maybe all of the things that this world system, which please remember is referred to here as a prostitute, 
this prostituted world system that seduces you and tempts you, calls your name, says, find your identity in me, find your pleasure in me, find your significance in me. And Jesus steps in and he says to the world system, not this one, this one belongs to me. This one's mine. I love this one and I have given my life for this one. That's the value I place on this one. You need to go ahead and just stop listening to every voice that tears you down and speaks insignificance or or negative comparison over you. Listen, we don't even get to blame the devil for that. A lot of that comes just from the horizontal level. And frankly, sometimes it just comes from within. I I was thinking this morning, if, if you had a friend that lied to you as much as your insecurities lie to you, you'd cancel that relationship. But we nurture our insecurities by believing them. And sometimes you have to come back brute force against the, the condemnation and the accusation and the negative comparison and the, and the self-pity and all of that stuff that tries to just make us victims. And you need to just bust out. It's kind of like Superman opening up his shirt. You just got to say, that's not who I am. I'm beloved of the Father. I I am chosen in Christ Jesus. I am am the one for whom he died. He has given me a name. He's going to give me a new name according to the book of Revelation. The new name that nobody even knows yet. He's got a brand new name he's going to call you for all of eternity. And that you are precious to him. And when you wake up and, and you can break through that place where that's just, frankly, it's enough. Okay, it's enough, Lord. It's enough that you love me. It's enough that you are for me. It's enough that I'm going to be with you. And we let our minds biblically travel to a place in time where this loving, sacrificial, pursuant, holy, committed, strong, patient, wise, victorious, glorious, royal, perfect husband is going to come get us. That's what we get. What does he get? Well, at the end of the age, it looks a lot better than what we see right now that he's got. Because you've you got to remember something. By the time he gets his bride... She's perfect. She's perfect. Look with me in verse number seven to into verse number eight. I call her the pure lady because I'm addicted to alliteration. Preeminent Lord, perfect lamb, pure lady. Just bear with me in my folly. Here we go. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So much more is said, especially in the book of Ephesians, about the bride of Jesus Christ. But by the end of the age, and this just as encourages me, because I know y'all never struggle with imperfection in, in your flesh. I know y'all are delivered from that, but I'll confess, I, I occasionally struggle with some, some fallenness. But you know, just theoretically, if anybody else tells you, or anybody else struggles with this, be encouraged. Um, When we stand with Jesus at the marriage of the Lamb, not only will we be forgiven, we will be perfectly restored. You see, I'm forgiven and I am being sanctified or being restored from all of the damage done from from my own life, from choices I made as a younger person. We we still carry scars that were self-inflicted, but in that day, they'll be gone. There'll be no scent on me. There'll be no smell of flesh lingering. We'll be restored. We will be righteous, not, not improved, not a 1.2 version of you, but you will be brand new. You will be in every sense of the word, inwardly, outwardly, spirit and body. You will be 
perfectly righteous. You will be like Adam and Eve before the fall. You, you will literally be walking in, in the same existence as Adam and Eve before sin ever sank its fangs into their lives. You will be holy. I'm going to encourage some of you. We don't, we, we don't make light of sin around here. I, I want us all to be living holy lives, but quite honestly, we all have susceptible areas. Um, the longer you walk with Jesus, he's gentle, but he is relentless at saying, yeah, we're actually going to still work on this area in your life. I love you, child, but we're going to work. In that day, friends, you will actually be spotless. It'll be gone. You won't have to apologize to him. You ever get sick of apologizing to the Lord for the same old junk? Good. I'm glad y'all are being honest tonight because some of you are looking really pious out there. <laughs> we'll be fully cleansed. This is what Jesus gets. By the way, we'll, we'll, joy will be natural. Nobody will have to tell you to be joyful at the marriage supper. I, I don't know how it works up there, but if anything, if anything was said about joy, it would probably be them telling us to calm down a little bit because, I mean, listen, it's just going to be mind-blowingly good. Joyful, and we'll be adoring, and we'll be devoted. There won't be any intermittent faithfulness. You know, Jesus is always faithful to us, but we're not always faithful to him. Yet he abides faithful because he can't lie to himself. And so in that day, his faithfulness will be matched by our faithfulness. It'll be the perfect marriage. There'll be nothing in between. Devoted and sinless, and by the way, at that point, fully victorious. Fully victorious. Um, you're not there yet, and you're not imagining things when it gets hard and it gets heavy, it gets dry. Um, you're not imagining things, but I'm going to tell you, I'm convinced at this point in my Christian journey that the most important element of the Christian life on earth is the element of endurance, perseverance never quitting. And you have to live in the Spirit for that to happen. Because your flesh will fail you. It's in Scripture. Your flesh will fail you. There's nothing good that dwells in your flesh. Even your best flesh. Even those parts of your flesh that everybody else thinks are great and impressive. Flesh isn't always just the ugly side. Sometimes it's, it's the powerful side, the self-sufficient side, the capable side. It'll always fail you. There's always a bigger match out there somewhere for your flesh, and it will find you. But I'm going to tell you, in the Spirit, you are one who does all things through Christ that strengthens you. You are more than a conqueror. You are victorious. That is who you are. And so when we look forward to that day, I'm looking forward to it more tonight than when I walked in the door. I'm just like, Jesus, please, tonight, tonight, tonight will be great, tonight. I got nothing else to do. Tonight, come on. Let me give you this last thing. Prevailing love, verse number nine. So John's seen all of this, and the groom is getting his bride, and the bride is getting her groom. Everybody loves a wedding, but there's never been a wedding like this. This is great. And the angel says to John, write this, which is what we're reading, by the way. We're reading what he was told to write. Blessed are those, let's use the old English, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those that are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus, when he sent out those invitations, he wrote them in blood. And it wasn't to whom, he may concern, to whom it may concern. It was your name. He came after you. Some of you were little kids, and you never got off into sin, and you never lived like a reprobate. And he, he, he invited you, and you said yes at a very young age. Others of us were out in the world, and he sent messenger after messenger with that 
that blood-inked invitation, come and be mine, come and be mine. I'm a forgiving, merciful, kind, compassionate, strong Savior, but I am Lord, and you must come to me. And eventually, for most of us in those days, in a period of brokenness, where we had chased the prostitute of the world, when we had had our fill of the world system and our souls were achy and empty, and he sent another invitation. And in that moment of faith, we said, yeah, I want to be with you. I bow my heart to you. Maybe some of you here tonight, and it's getting late in the game, and you, you, you haven't answered yes yet. And tonight, in, in his mercy, in a very intense few verses, you heard about the wrath that's coming. See, the wrath is reserved to those who align themselves with the prostitute, the world system, the world uh, d dominion. The prostitute is not who you're destined to be. You're the bride. You have a wife and a prostitute. And God says the prostitute is doomed and damned, but the bride is forever. Blessed are the ones who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, it reminds me, and I'll close with this, of the previous Beatitudes that Jesus gave. It's just, it's just awesome that even in the last book of the Bible, God's saying, let me tell you who I bless. Let me, let me tell you the type of person that is blessed by me. Jesus said this, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he said, blessed are you if others revile you and persecute you and utter evil things against you falsely on my account. He says, you're blessed. But look at that. It's, it's the realm of blessing in this life. The poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the hungry and the thirsty for righteousness, the merciful, the ones that keep their hearts pure, the ones that don't want to make division, but they live to make peace, and the ones that suffer because of their alignment with Jesus. Jesus says, blessed are those. And he says, they're the ones that are going to be comforted. They're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. They're the ones that are going to be satisfied. They're the ones that are going to receive mercy. They're the ones that are going to see God. They're the ones that are going to be called for 